Welcome and happy Palm Sunday to everybody. Uh, go ahead and take out your Bibles, if it's a new Bible or an old Bible. Come on, take out your Bible and uh, something to take some notes with today as we study God's Word. And I just want to take a moment again on Palm Sunday. I know we do it all throughout the service, but I want us to welcome each other. Those of us in the room, those of us watching online, come on church, can we welcome each other to Palm Sunday? I just... I, I don't want there to be any divide there. I just love that we can welcome each other. We could just, wherever we're watching, listening, in the room, outside of it, that we can be the church, that we can join together at this moment uh, and study God's word together. We can have moments of worship and prayer. Uh, And so I just, I love that opportunity to do that. If you can pull out your Bibles, though, if you'd like a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes, I say it every week, you can pull up the Victory Church app uh, on your phone, iPhone or Android, and you can have a fill-in-the-blank version. Some people love that. Some people live for that, all right? Some people come up after the service and they're like, you didn't fill in this blank. I need this blank. And I'm like, I don't even remember what the blank was. And so we just, uh, but if you like a fill in the blank version of it, it's there for you. All the verses that we're going to cover today. And of course, we'll have them up on the screen uh, as well. A couple of things you need to know as we get into this. Uh, First one is there is a small group leaders meeting after service today. Uh, If you're interested in leading a small group, you already lead a small group. Um, You've led one in the past. You'd like to revive it or start it for this next semester. Uh, Whichever place you're in for that, if you're one of the small group leaders or you want to be a potential small group leader, uh, we've got a meeting right after service. And I'll be leading that right over here uh, at the front. Real quick, 10, 15 minutes. Just love to touch base with you, explain a little bit of things uh, for you. Love to have you come out for that. And then the second thing is, if this is Palm Sunday, next Sunday is Easter, everybody. All right. And so I know it snuck up on us. I know it just kind of appeared out of nowhere. But next Sunday uh, is Easter Sunday. So excited about that. And we'll talk a little bit about it as we get into the sermon today. Uh, But just wanted to remind you of that. Just the excitement. It's going to be an incredible, incredible Sunday. So excited uh, about that. But today is Palm Sunday. So we're going to be talking about Jesus and his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. So we're going to be talking a little bit about him and what what happened when he rode into the city. Uh, Palm branch is going crazy. I thought somebody would bring a palm branch today, but nobody did. All right. So we don't have that. I thought somebody would bring a donkey today, but nobody did that either. All right. And so we just uh, just leave that right there. All right. Happened. But Palm Sunday, something happened a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, something that happened, this event that we study and we talk about it. The heading on your Bible says triumphant entry. And it's all these, this, all this stuff that surrounds this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And the city erupts as they welcome their new king. They erupt as they welcome. And they probably had a little bit different of a perspective of what Jesus was going to do and who Jesus was than who he actually was. They had a little bit different example or probably a little bit different expectation of what Jesus was going to do. Because see, the the Hebrews, they had waited for their Messiah for all these years. They had seen the prophecies and they were waiting and they were celebrating the Messiah coming. They were celebrating this because they expected Jesus to bring them freedom from the Romans. That they expected this Messiah because they had always believed when the Messiah comes, he's going to liberate us from our oppressors. He's going to liberate us. He's going to give us freedom from the Romans that they were living under at the time. And so Jesus arrives and it's the Messiah and they begin to cry out on Palm Sunday and Hosanna. And they're so excited that he's going to free them from the Romans. And they wanted a physical king. They expected a physical kingdom, a government for him to set up. And now we know from prophecies, we know that Jesus is going to rule and reign one day. From the new city of Jerusalem, he is going to set up his government upon the earth. And he's going to, we we know those things that are going to happen. But at this moment, what Jesus has come to do, the amazing victory that he's come to be won is not what they were expecting. 
They weren't expecting this physical thing. We know he's going to set up one day. But in this triumphant entry, it isn't what they wanted Jesus to do. And this happens a lot in the Gospels, to be honest with you. People expect Jesus to do something. They expect him to say something. They expect him to be like something. And it doesn't quite turn out how they want. And so we're going to take a look at this crowd. We're going to take a look at this entry today. And we're going to do it in Luke chapter 19. Now, this is one of the stories in the Gospels that's in every single Gospel. It's in all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are some stories that are in some of the Gospels and not in others. Because the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write the Gospels, but the writers were still human, and so they noticed different things. Different writers noticed different details, depending kind of on their mindset and what was kind of important or what stuck out to them. And so they recorded different details, and so we get what we call the harmony of the Gospels. Each writer gives a little bit different detail, something we can learn from them. And so today we're going to kind of camp out in Luke's Gospel. Uh, In Luke chapter 19, we're going to take a look at those. And we're going to look at this story. So we pick it up in verse 28. It's telling about Jesus that he went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. So Jesus is getting ready now. He's kind of preparing himself to go and give his life for the sins of all mankind. So that's kind of where we are in the story. You know, over 50% of the Gospels covers these last two weeks of Jesus's life. And so we're going to Pick this up. Now he's heading towards Jerusalem. And so he comes to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And so he's heading across and he sent two disciples ahead. All of the stories say that they're two. None of them tell us which two. All right. So we don't know. Watch this to the next. Go into that village, he tells them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. We're going to come back to that in just a second. And he says, untie it and bring it here. And so he sends them donkey stealing, all right, everybody? He sends them to go steal a donkey in the town that's ahead of them. And watch this. Watch what he says. If anyone asks, why are you untying that coat? If anybody asks you, why are you stealing the donkey? He says, just tell them the Lord has need of it. Right? The Lord has need. This is like the Jedi mind trick before the Jedis were invented, all right? Just the Lord. The Lord needs. Like this is, a lot of times we don't put ourselves in the story. We don't think about this. That the Lord has need. Like, I'm going to steal your donkey. Don't worry about it. This is none of your business. The Lord has need of it. And we think, (laughs) I wouldn't want to be one of them. But the idea of this, so they went, watch this, they went and they found the cult, as Jesus had said. I love this idea how prophetic Jesus is. Because here is a scenario, here is a scene, here is something that he has never seen before with his physical eyes. He's never been to that place. He's never seen it. And he describes it to them in perfect detail. He's like, you're going to go into that that city and you're going to find a donkey there and you're going to take it. And then somebody's going to try to stop you. And so you're going to say, the Lord has need of it. And then you're going to bring it to me. It's amazing. Jesus, how prophetic he is that he can see a scenario that he hasn't even seen with his own eyes. My wife, Alyssa, and I get invites all the time because I can't remember things I've seen with my own eyes. All right, everybody? Like, I can't, I can't describe to you in detail where anything is in my entire life. Like, I, I promise you, I put it there. And she's like, no, you didn't put it. No, I know it was there. And then I find it somewhere else. Come on, somebody. And it's a little bit frustrating, to be honest with you. It's just a little bit. And so I'll, I'll secretly move it from there to here and be like, look, I put it here. And she knows. She knows every single time. I don't know how she knows, but maybe she just knows me. And it's frustrating, but it's true. All right. But here's Jesus describing something he's never seen before. And he actually gets it right. It said that as Jesus said, they find him. They find the donkey where he said it would be. So check it out. Verse 32. They went and found it. And sure enough, as they were untying. I love that. Sure enough that Luke adds in there. As they were untying it, the owners come up to them and say, why are you untying the colt? 
Which is a little gracious, if you ask me. That just sounds a little too nice. Because if I were to leave church today and somebody was sliding behind the wheel of my car, everybody, the Bible would then say, and then he tackled them. Like then, because like, what kind of owners are these, right? Like, like it wouldn't be this gracious, why are you stealing my car, sir? Like, do you have need of that? Is that something that you have, you need in your life? I don't understand, I don't understand these types of owners. But the disciples, they have their marching orders. They know what's, what's supposed to happen. Like somebody's going to approach you. Somebody's going to challenge you. And so the disciples tried it. They're like, they know what Jesus told them to say. And so they, they try it out. And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So I want you to put yourself, because I think sometimes, again, we skip over this. We want to get to the donkey and the palm branches and the excitement. But we skip over this part of the story. Think if you're one of these two guys. Like, I, I don't understand what their mindset is in this moment. Like you're one of these two disciples, the Lord has sent you to steal the donkey and you're thinking, like I wonder if they're thinking like this is never going to work. Like this, this kind of thing. I know what God told me to do, but this is never going to work out. And they're probably like, come on, just hurry up and steal it. Like let's not even get to the part where anybody just take it, just untie it, just steal it. And the owners are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? And these two guys are like, the Lord needs it. <laughs> what? Like, the Lord needs it, right? Like, like, I don't understand. And somehow it works. Like, I got to believe, like, it has to be something more than the Lord needs it. But in verse 35, watch this. The disciples, they brought the cult to Jesus. Like, in my holy imagination, something else had to have happened. Like, Peter might have been on the assignment, like, pulled out a knife. Like, I'll cut you. Like, we need this donkey right now. Like, I don't, but apparently it works. And so they bring the cult to Jesus. They bring it, and so, I don't know, it works somehow. And they put their garments over it for him to ride on. So they throw him, and as he rode along, the crowds begin to spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. So it's this sign of honor and a sign of respect. The symbol of honor, they lay it before the donkey that Jesus rides on. So we're going to jump over to John's account, because Luke doesn't even mention why we call this Palm Sunday. So I told you, it's the harmony of the gospel. So we'll skip over to John chapter 12, and Jesus was on this way. The news he's on his way swept through the city. And a large crowd of Passover visitors, watch this. They took palm branches and they went down the road to meet him. And so pause for a moment. In John's passage, he tells us what they do with the palm branches. He tells us what they're celebrating, that it's actually Passover. And so Passover is the time that the Jewish people would celebrate their liberation from captivity in Egypt. So we talked a little bit about that last week. And so they were required, the entire nation were required to come to the city of Jerusalem. And so this tiny little city of about 40 or 50,000 inhabitants during Passover would then swell, some historians think, anywhere from 300,000 to a million people would descend upon this city. Now, if you have ever seen a map of the old city of Jerusalem, you know that it is nearly impossible to comfortably fit a million people. It's a tiny, tiny city to fit this. So it kind of gives you an idea of the chaos that's going on. And if you've ever driven in traffic in Baton Rouge, you understand what it means when too many people try to fit in too small of a place. It is pandemonium in Jerusalem at this time. And so it gives us a little bit of context to what's happening as the city begins to erupt, as people cut the palm branches and they begin to shout, as all these hundreds of thousands begin to cry out as the king comes. And they begin to cause this pandemonium and chaos, as John puts it, all throughout the city. And you say, well... Why, why would they cut the palm branches? There's a couple of reasons for that, and two of them that I'm going to give you today. First one is, back in the Roman tradition, is when a conquering king would approach a city, the people would cut palm branches, and they would wave them in celebration and in respect of the king that was coming. 
They would wave them in celebration of the honor of the conquering king. Another thought is that they were celebrating what is known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a feast they would celebrate later on in the year. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people would celebrate. They would cut the palm branches and wave them. And they would sing or recite Psalms 118, which incidentally is the same song that they sing as Jesus comes in on the donkey. As they began to sing, and we're going to look at that, they would sing at this Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. They would actually sing in this verse, Luke 19, where our account started in. When he reached the place, the road started down the Mount of Olives. They began to shout and to sing as they walked along. And watch where they would sing, praising God for the miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes. This is that Psalms 118, the Feast of Tabernacles. Blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. So they begin to sing this song that they would sing of the conquering king. They begin to wave the palm branches and they begin to cry out. And watch what they cry out in the next verse. And they begin to cry out to him, Hosanna. Hosanna, they begin to cry out to the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna. And that word in the Hebrew, what they're crying is, Lord, save us. It's what they would cry in the Feast of Tabernacles when they would cry out, Lord, save us. They're crying out to him. And I think this story is actually fascinating that now Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem. He's now arrived at the city of Jerusalem. He's going to give his life for the sake of all mankind. And this is this is the one time in Jesus's earthly ministry that he allows the crowds to celebrate it. Because if you study the story of Jesus in the Gospels, any time Jesus built any kind of earthly momentum, any kind of earthly fame, any kind of momentum in his ministry, he would instantly dismantle it. Anytime he got anything kind of going, anytime he was like, hey, I know thousands of people are coming. I know we got all this momentum. We got to shut this bad boy down. We're going to go start over in another city. We got to get in the boat right now because there's all these people. Anytime he had any kind of momentum, Jesus would dismantle it. This is the one time he allows himself to be elevated by the world and celebrated. That he allows himself to have this stage of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem singing and dancing and waving the palm branches. And they're celebrating the coming king. And Jesus allows it to happen. There's this bustle. And from all of the accounts, you notice it sets the city on fire. Like, it's just this incredible fervor of who is this guy and what's happening and and all this celebration. It's this incredible pandemonium and celebration of who Jesus is. And now what's fascinating about the story, now that we arrive at it, is Jesus's mode of transportation. Because I can tell you, if this is my moment, this is the one time I'm going to let everybody celebrate who I am. This is my announcement party. This is going to be my celebration as the conquering king. The last thing in the world I'm going to pick is little Sebastian for me to ride in on. All right, everybody? Like, I'm not riding in on any little donkey. It's not, this is not what I see as the grand entry. Your Bible probably says triumphal entry. That's not what I would choose. Like, I got a war horse or like a Mustang or like like some kind of Clydesdale, right? Like, I'm coming in. Or even if not a horse, I've got a camel or an elephant. Come on, anybody remember Prince Ali, Fabulous He, Ali Ababwa? Come on, who knows that hymn from the 90s? Anybody know? Like, that, that's my entry into the city of Jerusalem. This is my time. This is my celebration. I'm not coming in. But Jesus chose a little donkey. He chose a donkey. And you might ask why a donkey, or you might just skip that portion altogether. But I did a little research for you, a couple of things you need to know. The first one is, and this is just in the secular, in the natural, is that in that day and age, to ride in on the donkey had a symbolism to it. That when a conquering king would ride into a city on a horse, it meant that he was conquering and going to war against that city. But when he rode in on a donkey, it meant he was declaring peace over the city. And so the two different aspects of what you ride into, when King Solomon was dedicated 
as the next king of Israel in the Old Testament, the Bible is very specific that he rides. The first time he goes into Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey because Solomon was called a man of peace. And it's actually what qualified him to even build the temple was because he was a man of peace. And so as Jesus rides in, so the people's expectation is that God was going to set them free from their physical oppression. To set them free from the Romans. That he was going to come and liberate them and declare war on the Romans and have this. That was their expectation of Jesus. And so often our expectation of him is opposite to what he's really trying to do in our lives. What he's really trying to do. He's trying to set us free. And so we think he's going to set us free from physical limitations. That he's just going to rescue us out of every storm. And he's just going to give us everything our hearts desires. And that's the only thing that matters in this life. But Jesus is setting us free from sin and death. There's something more important in our spiritual lives that he's doing. There's something more important that he's at work in inside of us. And the sooner we realize it, the better off we'll be. That we realize he has a plan that he has an action, that he's doing something in this world. He's doing something in our lives. And we need to get in line with that. And so that's what the people's expectations. And there's something, though, in our spiritual lives so much deeper. And so Jesus rode a donkey, not because he was declaring war between the Romans and the Jews. He wasn't. Jesus rode a donkey because he was declaring peace between God and man. I'll amend myself today, everybody. That's good preaching there. Jesus rode a donkey, not because it was war between the Jews and the Romans. He declared peace between God and man came to set us free from the sin. That's the moment that we're celebrating. That he came to set us free from our sins. It's why he rode a donkey. It was prophesied about 1,500 years before this event took place. Watch this in Zechariah. He prophesied, rejoice, O people of Zion. 1,500 years before Jesus ever came into the city of Jerusalem. Rejoice, people of Zion. Shout in triumph, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious. And yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. And so Zechariah prophesied. It's fascinating. As Jesus comes, the savior of the universe, the king of Jerusalem, the king of the world. As he comes in, he's being declared and celebrated. This is his moment. It's fascinating to me that he's riding on a little donkey. He chooses to ride on a little donkey. And I also love the fact that Jesus is just a prolific borrower of things. Like, he just borrows things all throughout his ministry. I love that because I also love to borrow things, everybody. How many like to borrow something? Come on. How many borrow some things from somebody sitting next to you? How many borrow? How many? That's why we live in neighborhoods, right? Because we can borrow things from our neighbors. That's the reason that we live in neighborhoods as humans, right? Like, I'll borrow anything. And usually what borrow means is I'm going to take this until you come looking for it in my garage. Like... Until you physically come and take it off of the wall, I will need to borrow this. I just need it. I don't know when I might need it again. I just, I'll borrow any. I'll borrow your drill. I'll borrow your rake. I'll borrow your lawnmower. I'll borrow anything. I'll borrow your television if I can. I'll borrow, I'll borrow anybody's cabin in Gatlinburg if you're offering. All right, everybody. Love to borrow stuff, but check it out. Jesus borrowed. I wrote some of these down. Jesus borrowed a manger to enter the world. He borrowed a boat so he could preach to the masses. He borrowed a lunch so he could feed people, right? He just borrowed that little kid's lunchable, just took his little ham and cheese sandwich, right? Like, what you got? That looks kind of good over there. Just give that. I just need to borrow that for a second. I'll give you 12 baskets afterwards, but let me, let me just take that, right? He loved to borrow. He borrowed a donkey so he could enter Jerusalem, right, everybody? He borrowed an upper room so that he could have his last supper with his disciples. And then next Sunday, we're going to celebrate. He borrowed a tomb for three days, but he's not there anymore. Anybody? He's alive. Come on. That is, that is good news. Now, we're going to celebrate. He borrowed for three days, and he does not need it anymore. Come on, somebody. He loves to borrow stuff. And here's my thought for this Easter. Here's my thought, that this Easter, Jesus wants to borrow you. 
That Jesus wants you to leverage your influence, leverage your spot, leverage the giftings he's given you. Because the reality is every one of us can find ourselves in this story, but maybe not in the spot that we would think. Maybe not in the place that we would expect. I think every one of us is called to be a donkey. Come on, let that, let that simmer. <laughs> you know, as a speaker, you can hear different murmurs and things in the crowd. I don't like what I heard just then, all right, everybody? I don't, you learn to kind of feel out what's going on. I think this Easter, we are all called to bring the gospel, to carry Jesus into every part of this world. I think that he has called us, that we have a unique opportunity this week, that he has called us to reach the world. That we are called to, in our unique capacity, in our unique place, in our post, and wherever he's put us, as we approach Easter Sunday, that Easter is not just about celebrating just what God has done in our life. I think that's important. I think it's incredibly important, and we're going to do it. But it's not just about that. It's about spreading the gospel. It's about sharing the good news that we have received, that God has saved us for a purpose. But he has used us to read. The reality is Easter is an incredible opportunity that we have to share the good news. And while we all might have expectations of what we want God to do in our lives, we might have expectations of what we expect Jesus to do. We need to set those aside and we need to begin to do what he's called us to do. And we're called to reach the lost. The fact that he's called, he's come to set us free from sin and death. The fact that he has set us free so that we can then share how others can be set free. We can introduce others to Jesus. Yeah, that's what we've been called to do. And I believe we have a responsibility to share with as many people as we can. And some of you might be saying, well, I'm, I'm too new to the faith. Or I'm, I'm just, I'm not trained enough. Or I'm not qualified enough. I just, I haven't, I haven't learned enough yet. I haven't done this. Or I haven't done that. But here's what I know. And I write it down if you're taking notes. And that is, if God can use a donkey, God can use me. Put that on your bumper sticker, everybody. Just, if God can use a donkey, I know that God can use me. If he can use a little donkey that never been ridden before to carry Jesus into the triumphant entry, then he can use us to carry the gospel where we are. Then he can use us. I want to give you three things before we go today that will help you to do that. Number one, jot it down if you're taking notes. It starts with being faithful. It starts with being faithful. Faithfulness. Just don't wander. As we learn about this, what it means to spread the gospel, what it means to be a carrier of Jesus just in this week, what it means to be borrowed by Jesus. Because the Bible tells us in verse 30 that the disciples found the donkey and they found it tied to a post. So the disciples come across it, they find it tied. Now, in my whole imagination, if I'm the little donkey, I'm a little disappointed with how life is going so far. I'm a little disappointed with how life has gone up until this point. I'm a little disappointed because I'm tied to a post. I've never been ridden. I'm not doing anything. It seems like my life has no significance. If it enters into my little donkey brain about significance, it feels like I have none. And it's funny to me how often we feel like this in our lives. That the place where I am, the place where God has placed me, the place where I find myself isn't really doing all that much. And we begin to, to think about in our own mind, we begin to replay where we are in our lives. We begin to think, this place God seems to have left me doesn't really make all that big of a difference. I'm not really accomplishing what I thought I should be accomplishing. I don't really like the post that I find myself at. I, I, don't, I don't really like where I am. I feel like I was made for more. I feel like I should have more responsibility. I feel like I have, but many times the Bible says, often it's a test. That God is saying the one who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And that he's watching you in the midst of this. And so the first step in doing this and living out the calling is just being faithful to what God has given you. Being faithful in the things God has placed into your hands. That you just be faithful. And the first one of that is just don't wonder. 
Don't wander. Because the Bible says in this, that the faithful, watch this, that you who are faithful in little things will be faithful in large ones, but dishonest in little things won't be honest with the greater responsibility. God has his eyes on you. God is watching what we do with what he has given us. And we learned about a little bit last week that the talents and the giftings, the things he's given us, God's eyes are on you. And the one who is faithful in the little things. So don't despise your post. Don't think always thinking how terrible it is and think, well, I'm just going to leave this thing because I don't feel it has much significance. No, the faithful in the little will be faithful in the much. That God has his eyes on you. And as I was preparing this message this weekend, I kept coming back to this idea of this post. That we're called to be faithful where God has placed us. Because I kept replaying in my mind, I don't know why, I just kept thinking that there's somebody, somebody listening or watching online, somebody who's thinking about leaving their post. And I, I don't know what that post is. You've been called to it, whether it's in your family or whether it's a call to a post to reach somebody or it's called to an area of influence or ministry. It's called to something. And you're feeling that draw to leave that post. And God is saying to you, if you're faithful to that, if you, if, but if you're not, if you do leave it, then God, you're not where you are when God comes looking for you. When he sends them, when he sends you to that place, when he sends the disciples, go to this such and such a place, find a colt tied here and find them and bring them to me because the master has need of it. When you leave that post, when you leave it and you say, it's just not, it's not significant enough for me. I I know God called me to it, but I just, I can't do it anymore because it's just too small. And you won't be where you're supposed to be when the master comes looking. When he sees that you're faithful with the little and he comes looking with the much, And so I would just encourage you, don't wander. Be faithful. Because it starts with faithfulness. Don't abandon your post. It starts with faithfulness. God is using the season that you're in to prepare you for what he has for you. God's using the season that you're in to prepare you for what he has for you. But it starts with faithfulness. Faithful to what he's given you. Faithful to what he's given you. You know there's a story in the book of Acts. And I wasn't going to share this one, but I just, I prayed over it this morning. There's a story in the book of Acts where the disciples have come together and they begin to say, they begin to talk about Judas and how Judas betrayed the Lord and how he was no longer counted among the disciples. And he had, he had wandered and his life ends in tragedy, he takes his own life. And they begin to talk about how there needs to be a 12th apostle. They need to fill Judas's place. And so they begin to talk among themselves how they're going to choose who to pick. How they're going to choose who's going to take the place of Judas as an apostle, a witness to the resurrection of Christ. And I want to read to you what they choose, how they choose that person. And they choose two of them and they put them before the Lord and let God choose the one that he chooses. But I want to read to you the criteria they use to put them into that choice for those two guys. Because they don't get together and they don't say, okay, guys, we got to pick who is, the, who is the most handsome among us and who is the greatest speaker among us and who is the most persuasive And who has the most charisma? And who do we think is the most talented? And who's the smartest? And who's the most gifted? That's not how they pick. Because in Acts 1, in verse 21, what they say is they come together and they say, okay, we're going to pick from among us. And they're going to say, we need to find brothers among us. They say, who are with us. When Jesus, all through the ministry, when they were with us, when Jesus was in and when Jesus went out. All throughout the time that they were with us, from the disciple, from the baptism of John, all the way till now, they've been with us. And I love the terminology they use from when Jesus went in and when he went out. They were with us when Jesus was there and preaching and everything was great. And they were with us when Jesus went off to pray and everything fell apart. They were with us in the good times and in the bad times. Just who they were with us. They were faithful. 
And that's what they choose to replace. And the lot falls on Matthias. And I remember a story about, I'd say, probably 12 years ago now, 13 years ago. There was a man in our church, he's since passed away now, named Wesley Cannon. And you maybe remember Wesley, he had a lot of health issues in his life, and so he walked with a cane, he was real slow in getting from his car to in. But one thing you'd know about Wesley is he was faithful. Every time the church doors were open, we knew we would be here and Wesley would be here. Wesley would be in the building. And I remember my dad preached on the story of Matthias one Sunday. That he was with them when Jesus went in. He was with them when Jesus went out. He was faithful. And I remember the next Wednesday night we had a prayer meeting. And Wesley came in and it was the doors were a little bit farther back back then. They were about 20 feet back. But he came in those back double doors right next to where the sound booth was at the time. And my dad and I were standing there and he looked at him and he said, he told him, I love that, I love that story on Sunday, Pastor. I love that story on Sunday that you preached about Matthias, that he was there with. And he said, that's what I want to be. He said, I can't do a lot and I, I can't contribute a lot. And I, I know with my, my health issues, I'm not able to accomplish a lot. But he said, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be here every day, every service. I'm just going to be faithful to the house of the Lord. And a few years later, we started a homeless outreach ministry on Tuesday mornings downtown in Baton Rouge. For about two years, every Tuesday morning down there. Can I tell you, the one person every Tuesday morning that was there was Wesley Cannon. Pouring into those guys and sharing with them the love that God has for them. And just just showing them the love of Christ. And he was able to witness and to lead them to the Lord more than any of us could. He used what he was given and he said, I'm just going to be faithful. It starts with faithfulness. Don't leave your post. Don't leave your post. Don't don't think because it's small, because it's just whatever I can do. It's not what so and so. Don't get your eyes on everybody around you. Say, God has given me giftings. I'm going to be faithful to my post. Don't wonder that what I'm going to do and watch this. Everything that you do. Watch this in Philippians. Everything that you do. The Bible says I rejoice even if I lose my life. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful servants, is an offering to God. Do you know your faithful service is done as an offering to God? It's not what everybody else can see. It's not how much fame or notoriety you can have on this earth. It's not that everybody somehow likes you and somehow this, you have the influence and the titles. and the th- That's not what it's about. It says you do it, your faithful service, poured out as an offering to the Lord. That we're called to be faithful. And so oftentimes we think it's not significant where I am. It's not, it's not significant what I'm doing. I don't feel like I have as much influence as I think I should have. I don't have as many followers as I think I should have. I don't have as many titles next to my name as I think I should. I don't have as many zeros next to my paycheck as I think I deserve. And we do this. We get our eyes off of what God has given us. We begin to place it on what we want in the world. But God is saying it's faithful. What God is looking for is not all of those things. God is looking for you to be faithful. He's got his eyes on you if you're faithful with what he's given you. Are you faithful with what he's given? God doesn't doesn't see it as insignificant. No, God sees it as significant as long as it's faithful. As long as it's faithful doing what he's called you to do. Be at your post when the master calls. Be at your post. Number two, we're going to have to be fearless. Not just faithful. We're going to be fearless. Don't waver. So don't wander from your post, but then don't waver where you are. Because I'd like to point out the painful, obvious truth in verse 30 again about our story that maybe you haven't realized yet, but he was a donkey. He was a donkey, everybody. It was just a donkey. 
Jesus didn't magically, he didn't arrive with the disciples and Jesus magically then turned him into something different than what he was. He didn't like suddenly magnificent, just like put a cape up like, like a magic trick and suddenly turn him into an animal that was bigger or stronger or more, more appealing to people. Or he didn't turn him into something that was just greater. No, he needed a donkey. And so he sent his disciples to go look for a donkey. It was exactly what Jesus needed. Jesus needed him to be what he was. And so many times in our toxic culture of comparison, we get our eyes on everybody else and we say, well, I'm not as smart as they are. And I'm not as influential as they are. And I can't speak as well as they do. And I can't think as fast as they do. And I just, I can't do as much as they. And I, if God was going to use me, and we think this, and I'm like, if God was going to use me, then he would have made me taller or skinnier, or he would have made me better looking, or he would have made me better speaking, or he would have done these things. It would have made me more charismatic if God was really going to use me, because I got to have something other than what he's gifted me with to do that. And we get our eyes off of what God has called us to, and we get it placed out here somewhere in the world on somebody else, some other person. And we think if God really wanted me to do what he's called me to do, then he would have made me like that. He would have called me to do that certain way or to change something fundamentally about myself because who I am could not possibly do what God's called me to do. And we tell ourselves this lie over and over. And I would tell you, God made you uniquely you for the purpose that he called you to. And he made you uniquely you because he needed one of you. Let me say that again. God made you uniquely you because he needed one of you. That God made you on purpose and for a purpose. It's why God needed you to be you. If God needed you to be somebody else, he would have made you somebody else. All right, everybody? If God needed you to have some other gifting, he would have given you that other gifting. God needs you to be who he made you to be. That God has a calling for your life. He made you on purpose and for a purpose. Because that little donkey was exactly what Jesus needed him to be. And I want you to hear this in verse 31. The Lord needs you. The Lord has need of you. God made you the way that you are because he has need of you. He has something for you to accomplish. He doesn't need somebody else. If he needed somebody else, he would have made you somebody else. He needs you. God has need of you. And that donkey just had to be comfortable being a donkey because Jesus needed him to do what he was able to do. Jesus needed him to be himself. And we need to begin to lean into who God has created us to be. We need to begin to be actually able to say, because I think a lot of Christians, especially if you've been in the church a long time, we fall into the trap of we can encourage everybody else but ourselves. We can bring blessing and encouragement to everybody else but ourselves. And we need to come to a place where we recognize, God, you have made me. And like the psalmist said, fearfully, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And we need to come to the place where our soul knows that very well. That God, you have made me on purpose and for a purpose. And I can build myself up that I know that you have gifted me for the calling that you have for me. That the Lord has need of you. That the Lord wants to use you. Jesus wants to borrow you this Easter. That we begin to pray and decide that I am going to live out what he's called me to do. That I'm not going to waver. Too many people live in fear of if I don't network. And if I don't manipulate that relationship. And if I don't, if I don't get that opportunity too many times we live in fear that if I, don't, if I don't get onto that particular class or if I don't get my kids onto that team, then life is going to pass us by. And we live in fear of rejection constantly in our lives. We just live in this constant fear of if I don't do that, if I don't do this, then everything's going to pass me by. We live in fear of rejection. We live in fear of missing out. No, we need to be unashamed of who God has made us. 
We need to be unashamed of who God has gifted us to be. And we need to say, I I don't care. If I needed that gifting, God would give it to me. If I needed that ability, God would have made me with it. And he might bring it into my life. But aside from that, I'm going to be who he's called me to be. And I'm going to do what he's called me to do. We got to have that unashamed, that fearless living. He chose a donkey because he needed a donkey. Number three, we need fruitfulness. We got to be faithful. We got to be fearless, but we got to be fruitful. On the other side of the coin today, on the other side of this coin, as we come to the end, I wonder how many of us sit here and we say, well, it's not my season yet. I just have to wait. It's not my season to, to be who God has called me to be. I haven't been saved all that long or I haven't really learned all that much. I haven't been through the discover plan and I haven't done these things. And I just I, it's just not my time to do it. It's not my my I know I have a calling. I know that God has a purpose for me. I agree with you in that, Pastor, but it's just not my season. And I would tell you, don't wait. Don't wait. You say, well, I don't have, I feel like I don't have enough relationships yet, or I don't feel like I have the influence that I need, or I'm still working, or I'm still stubborn in a few areas. Don't wait. Because in my holy imagination in this story, the donkey's owners could have said, well, you know, this donkey's not ready for whatever it is you want him for. Like, he's never even been ridden before. This donkey's never done anything, and you want him to carry the Savior of the universe into the city. I imagine they're thinking, like, the scene this donkey is about to create. Somebody asked me this week if I wanted to borrow a donkey to bring in here for Palm Sunday. And I thought, there's not a chance. That would give a good story for everybody else. It'd be terrible for me. They could have said, this donkey's never been ridden. This thing, that No way you want this thing to be. The donkey himself could have said, I've never done anything. And you want me to carry the Savior of the universe into the city. I'm not ready for that. No way I can do that. The Bible says, verse 30, that he had never been ridden. And I want you to notice, in some kind of strange, odd way, that's the exact thing that qualified him to be the donkey that Jesus needed. That's the exact thing that that God said, that's exactly what I need. And I wonder how many of us disqualify ourselves by saying, I'm not this or I'm not that. And God's looking at it saying, that's exactly what I need. That's exactly who I, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Somebody who's walked through that, somebody in that world, somebody who exists in those circles, somebody who's gone through that pain, somebody who's walked through that situation. God is looking at what we say disqualifies ourselves and saying, that's exactly what I need. That he's looking and saying, this donkey has never been, that's what Jesus needed. And so we try to disqualify ourselves. I'm not ready. I'm not tested. I haven't done this. I don't have enough that. And God is saying, I need somebody at that post. I need somebody in that world. I need somebody in those circles. I need that. That's what I'm calling. It's the thing that qualifies him to be what Jesus needed. And Easter is an amazing time. It's an incredible time. I I know the rest of the year, but Easter is just an incredible moment. Did you know 70% of people will say yes if they're invited to church on Easter? Well, that's just incredible in itself, everybody. That's just an amazing, amazing thing. And 80% of people who regularly attend church say they do so because somebody invited them. You think about that. Not because the pastor was so funny. Not because the music was so good. They go to church because somebody invited them. The reason that they were saved, the reason they came into the fold is somebody told them about the good news of Jesus. Somebody invited them. And so that means this week, we're in a unique place, more so than any other week of the year. As we leave from here on Palm Sunday, we're this incredible place that we are called to be donkeys, to bring the gifting and the gospel of Jesus to the world around us. And this week, above all others, 
this week is the most receptive to do that. That this is our opportunity. And I'm not saying don't take advantage the rest of the year. I'm just saying right now, just recognize the heightened sense of opportunity that we have. As the church, the heightened sense. You think about it for a minute. We bring the gospel with us. That you're called, you're borrowed this week to be a donkey. That you would carry Jesus into the parts of the world that you are in. That he's called you that... Maybe no other light has been able to pierce. That you're in circles that no other person is able to bring it into. But God has you there for a reason. That God has called you to bring it there for a reason. And think about that. That you may be the only Jesus that people ever see. There's a quote I love that says there are five gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And most people never read the first four. You may be the only Jesus that people see, wherever it is that God has placed you, wherever your post is, in that circle, in that place that God has called you to. And you, too many times we say, well, I'm not talented enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not what God's looking for. I want you to know God doesn't need your talent. God doesn't need your popularity. God just needs you to be available. God just needs your availability. God just needs you to be willing to do what he's called you to do. He can work through anything. God can use anything and he's calling you. He's saying, I made you for a purpose and I want to use you. And to be honest with you, if we really believe that all of this is real. If we really believe in a real heaven and a real hell, which I do. Then how horrible would it be to go through life and to pass people who are headed for a crisis eternity and never warn them. And never tell them about what is happening. Never tell them about the danger that they live with. How horrible would it be as Christians to pass people by? And I live with, I live with this weight. That I don't want to stand before my Savior one day. After everything is done, after everything is settled, I don't want to stand before him in the throne of heaven. And hear him say, Ben, well, you did a pretty good job. Appreciate that. You were pretty faithful and you know you did a good job preaching and took good care of victory and I appreciate that. That's pretty good. And you did a pretty good job with Alyssa and the kids and pretty faithful there. But where's that checkout cashier that you blew past on your way to get stuff? Where's that guy that you sold something to on Craigslist last week? Where's, where's the person that you play ball with every week? Because they were all supposed to be here. They were all supposed to be here. Where are they? Why didn't you invite them? And I live with that weight that we would step out into the kingdom of heaven and we would step into paradise and we would look around and there would be people missing. People that we were the only ones who were called to reach. And we missed it. He says, where are they? Why, why wouldn't you invite them? And I'm just telling you, church, this week we have an opportunity. Probably the easiest that we have the entire year, the easiest way, opportunity just to extend an invitation. It's just the easiest thing that we can do. I'll tell you how easy it is. Somebody asked, how are you? I'm great. Easter's coming. It's going to be incredible. Would you like to go with me? I'll sit next to you. I promise it's normal church. I promise we won't go crazy on you. I promise it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Would you like to go? It's easy to invite. Let me show you real quickly three things before we go. 
Three things that I'm just calling, just practical things this week that we can do as a church. The first one is to pray. I don't know what your devotion looks like throughout the week. I don't know what you've settled on or what works for your schedule. I would just ask you this week, we're going to pray. All throughout, whenever you think about it, whether you're driving, whether you're, you're in your house, whether you wake up in the morning, when you're going, before you go to sleep, whenever it is, I just encourage you, begin to pray that we know that the harvest is ready this week. Begin to pray over it and then begin to pray, God, bring me divine interruptions in my life. Send people to me, Lord, or otherwise open my eyes to see the people that you've already sent. Begin to pray for interruptions all throughout your life because that's when you spread the gospel. And let me tell you, it is never convenient. It is never when you want it to be. It is never scheduled. It is always when you are like, ah, I don't have time for this right now. That is when God chooses to borrow you. All right, everybody. That is, that is when he uses to interrupt your life. But begin to pray, Lord, this week, anytime you need me, you can borrow me. Anytime you bring an interruption, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to recognize this is something God has for me. And I'm going to be a light to the world. I'm going to show Jesus to them. That's the second one. Once you have that interaction, once God brings it, as you begin to show them Jesus. Once he brings it into your life, you begin to be a faithful donkey. You begin to show them who sits on top. And I love that thought. I heard a preacher one time say that as Jesus is riding on this donkey, from the donkey's perspective, everybody is cheering and laying things in front of him and lifting him up and doing it. He said, never forget who rides on top. Never forget who it is you are bringing into their life. That it's not about you, everybody. It's all about Jesus. That it's all about him. Never forget that, but that we would pray for divine interruptions. That God would send people to us and we would be faithful to show them Jesus. Put a smile on your face, everybody. Show them who Jesus actually is. Don't act like you've been baptized in vinegar all the time, all right? Act like, actually believe and act like your sins have been forgiven. You've been set free and you would love to tell them about your Jesus. Because if you haven't had that experience, you have not met my Jesus. All right, everybody? Because he sets people free. He breaks the chains of addictions. He's healed my family. He's raised my kids. He's brought this life into my life. And if you haven't experienced that, you haven't met Jesus. And so we need to carry that into every part of the world. And praise God for that. We need to carry him into every part of the world. Then number three, here's how hard it is. Invite him to Easter. You have anywhere you want to go? You have anywhere that you need? Would you like to come with me? I'll sit next to you. Would you like to? I, I just would you like to come? We can go out to eat afterwards. Would you just like to come and enjoy and celebrate with me the risen Savior? Because we're having an incredible, incredible time. And then you just begin to tell. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. You share your testimony. We've been going through step by step on Wednesday nights about what it means to reach the lost, what it means to reach out to this world around us. You share your testimony. You share what God has done for you, and then you bring them. And I don't care. I'll be honest with you right now, and I'll tell you this in person as well. I couldn't care less about attendance numbers. I couldn't care less about that. What I do care about is there are thousands of people in Louisiana, hundreds of thousands, that we are called to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people who are dying and going to hell that we are called to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he's called us to reach them, and if we don't invite them, then who will? If we don't share the gospel with them, then who's it going to be? Who's going to be the one that does it? Who's going to be? God says he's called us. And if we don't care enough about them to tell them about heaven and hell, then we don't love people. Because Jesus has saved us for this reason to go and to seek and to save the lost. We are part of his mission. We are called to bring his mission. Listen, church, I'm asking, let's all join together. And you say, well, I don't know where to find people. John chapter 4, Jesus just says, lift up your eyes. They're everywhere. 
say, well, I don't know where these people are. They're everywhere. He says, lift up your eyes. The field is ripe for the harvest. They're ripe. The world would love to tell you. Just confront this lie before we go. The, love, the world would love to tell you. The media would love to tell you that nobody wants your Jesus. That nobody wants what you have. Nobody, nobody cares about that. They love, the devil would love for you to believe the lie that nobody needs that. But let me tell you something. Sin doesn't work. People are broken. And Jesus is the answer. That we have that answer for people and everybody needs him. I don't care how great their life. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care how much wealth. I don't care what they have that says it. Everybody needs Jesus. That everybody needs him. And we have that gift. Everybody needs. What they don't need is messed up, busted up religion. That's what they don't want. And that's not what we're inviting them to. I don't care if they ever join our church. I just want to see them in heaven. I want to see them in heaven. It's what we're called to do as a church. It's what we're called to be. The harvest is ready. That there are people Jesus wants to set free. And woe on us, church, if we have ever been set free and refused to share the news with others. That we got what we wanted and we're never going to share it with others. I would say that's a place of death when it stops with you. We're called. We're called to reach them. And so this week, I'm just asking you, would you let Jesus borrow you? Would you let him borrow you? Would you go to a world that is hurting, a world that needs him? Would you carry the master into every part, into every circle, into every place of influence, every post, every place that you are? Would we begin to be the church to a world that desperately needs to see Jesus? Bow your heads with me as we close today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I pray today that you would empower us. That you would bring divine appointments this week. Divine interruptions. That you would bring people. We ask, Lord, that you would interrupt our lives with the people you've called us to reach for the gospel. That we wouldn't see it as a complication or as a distraction. We would see it as the main thing. That you would borrow us to carry the gospel. That Jesus, we would lift you high. That we would have the gospel, Lord, as our call. That we would live with the weight of the lost. Every head bowed, before we pray that prayer, I just, I just want to ask you today. If you're here today and you say, I, I find myself in that second camp. find myself far from God and I don't know how you may have got there you may blame religion or it might have been a leader that hurt you or it might have been you turned your back on God for a hurt or a thing or a reason that you had and you feel like you're a million miles away from him and you feel like there's no way you could ever come back to him I just want you to know today that God loves you that he wants you and that you can still be free That God still has his eyes on you. That Jesus can still save you. And so if that's you today, you say, I'm too far gone. You say, but I want to come home. I want to come back. I want to repent. If that's you, I just want to pray with you. You can be free. I just want to introduce you to my Jesus. And so if you say, that's me today, you say, Ben, I want to pray that prayer. 
Here's what we're going to do. I can give you the words to it, and the church will pray that prayer with you. But you have to say the words, and you have to mean them. And I want you to know it's a prayer of submission. It's repentance. It's turning from the old life, and it's embracing what Jesus died to give you. That he has redemption for you, forgiveness, a new life, and life eternal. And so if that's you today, you say, I want to pray that prayer. Nobody else looking around, but if that's you today, I'm going to give you the words. Let's pray this together. Just say these words. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, God, we thank you for the blessing that rests on us. God, as we go out this week into the countryside and the byways and the highways and we invite others to come in, we pray for boldness. Lord, as we share the gospel with those in our lives, as we share the gospel with those that you've called us to reach, we pray for boldness, effectiveness. God, that it doesn't rest on our talents, it doesn't rest on our popularity, but that we would just lift you high, Jesus. You would draw all men unto you. That if we would just lift the gospel high, If we would share the good news of Jesus Christ, that it's you who does the saving, it's you who does the freeing, it's you who breaks the chains. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do this week. And we thank you next Sunday that we're going to celebrate our risen Savior. That together as a church, we're going to celebrate Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, we have been set free and forgiven, and that Jesus has rescued us. And we thank you once again, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. And all God's church said, amen and amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for what Jesus has done? Briefly before you go, before you go, if you prayed that prayer, I would love to talk with you about your next steps. I'll be right here at the front of the stage after service. We'd love to talk that over. If you're watching online or you feel more comfortable, you can text the word SAVED to 66599. We have a quick video we shot. We'd love to walk over those next steps with you. Otherwise, be blessed as you go, church. We'll see you next Sunday.